have a sermon that I want to share with you that's been on my heart a little bit. It's got to do with surrender. I called it letting go. And um, a big welcome to, for those of you that can't make it this morning, we're pretty, pretty surprised how many people came out for New Year's Day. I guess you weren't at all the parties last night. I want to start this morning with a question. And my question to you is, what are you holding on to this year that you have to let go of in order to make more room for God in your life? What are you holding on to this year that you have to let go of to make room for God in your life? To start, I think, every year, New, New Year's, when we have messages, we often start, and we predictably start with things like resolutions. Actually, resolutions on New Year's week and New Year's days for pastors are common message. We talk about what are you going to do now in the new year to blank. And uh, resolutions end up being those things that we promise that we're going to do in order to improve ourselves and in order to make improvements in our life. These are the things we're going to choose, something that's going to make us better, something that's going to make us healthier, something that's going to make us and our family, I think, a little bit different in the year ahead. And this morning, I'm going to take a little, I'm going to make a little twist on that and do something just a little bit different. Instead of asking yourself this year, what one thing do I have to add to my already busy life? One more resolution, one more promise. I want you this morning to think about something that you're going to let go of in 2023 to make more room for God. Before we get into that, let me pray. Father, as we think of letting go, there are a multitude of things that probably fill our minds. Things we know we should let go, things we're hanging on to that we just have known for a long time, we just have to release. And this morning, Father, I pray you'll bring something to mind to each one of us to know exactly what it is we have to let go of in order to grow closer to you. And I pray that in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, in his book, Full Catastrophe Living, John Kabat-Zinn tells the story of how farmers in India wanted to figure out a way to catch monkeys that were ruining their crops. They were kind people, so they didn't want to just shoot the monkeys or kill them. They actually wanted to find a way to catch the monkeys and then release them into freedom some distance away from the farms. And after watching monkeys for a while, this one farmer devised an ingenious plan to catch monkeys. What he did was he cut a small hole in a coconut, just small enough for that slender little monkey hand to get in. And inside the coconut, he put a banana, and then he tied the coconut to a tree. And eventually, the monkeys, out of curiosity, came near, checked out the coconut, saw the banana, squeezed their little fingers inside, grabbed a hold of the banana, and then couldn't get their fist through the hole. This is serious. You can go online and Google it. Google monkeys, hands, coconuts, catching, whatever you want. But there are, there are not all monkeys do this. This is really just a certain kinds of monkeys that are really stupid, okay? But these monkeys did. This kind of monkey, this species of monkey did. And anyway, so the monkey, all it had to do to get out of that situation was let go of the banana. That's all it had to do, and it would have been free. But for some reason, the monkeys were not able to figure that out. So what the farmers would then do is just walk up to them, capture them, cage them, and release them somewhere else. 
ingenious. But here's, here's what I find so interesting. Reflecting on this, Kabat Zinn writes this, much like the monkey with the banana, we tend to hold on to things, things that don't necessarily serve us well, old habits, behaviors, and even relationships. Attachment's a very natural part of life, but sometimes those things we're attached to are the very things that hold us back, even causing pain in our lives. It's true. Letting go is hard. I know that. I find it really difficult to let some things go. Letting go of material possessions. For example, I don't think I'm a hoarder. I'm pretty sure I'm not a hoarder. But when my son came home, he pointed out that we have all this unnecessary stuff around the house. So he took it upon himself. He volunteered to get rid of the clutter by posting a whole bunch of stuff on Facebook. And he just sold it off. And that was really good for us. Um, we began to realize we didn't need all that stuff around the house. But it's not just material stuff, is it, that we hold on to. Um, I hang on to other things. I notice that there are things that have happened to me in the past, negative things, things that even have happened decades ago, and I'm still holding on to those. I can think of a situation decades ago where somebody really embarrassed me, and it still comes up in my mind. I don't know, have you ever had that kind of experience? Your mind will still go back and replay those things. Well, I think all of us have this issue of holding on to stuff. What are you holding on to as we start 2023? What kinds of things do you need to let go? What kinds of unhealthy attachments do you and I have that we need to release in order to make new room for God to go to work in our lives. For some of us, it might be a habit. It might be something that just keeps dragging you down. For others, that habit might actually be an addiction, an addiction to something that you just wish you could break. But it could be a lot more subtle than that. For some of us, it could be the kind of habit that you just don't care for yourself well. Or it could be that you constantly compare yourself to other people. For others, it could easily be a relationship that's holding you back, and you need to let it go. I'm not necessarily thinking about marriages here or family relationships. Those are often much more complicated and need help to work through. But I'm thinking about toxic relationships, unhealthy relationships that are preventing you from becoming all God wants you to be. And this morning, whatever it is, Whatever it is, whether it's a habit or an unhealthy relationship or an unhealthy attachment, I want you to think this morning about what it would mean to let that go. When we look at Scripture, there are some really great passages that address this issue head on. The one that I thought of was in Titus 2, 11 to 14. Let me read it for you. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I just want to look at a few of the words and phrases in that passage for a second. Look, for example, at the very beginning of the passage, for the grace of God. Now, grace is Paul's way of describing God's unfailing love and compassion. God's love has been emptied into our lives. That's grace. And it wasn't because, anything, because of anything we did. It's because of God's great mercy and His kindness. 
And then Paul goes on to say that the grace of God has appeared. The appearance that he's talking about is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was grace in the flesh. He was the exact and perfect representation of God, God in the flesh. And that's what Christmas has been reminding us of. Ungodliness in this passage refers to a life that has no interest in God, a life that's lived as if God didn't matter, centered on self and not on Jesus. And then worldly passions, you'll see the phrase farther along in this context, are desires to be like the world around us, the attitudes, the actions, the values of the world and not those of Christ. And then something, though, in verse 12 happens. It's a really important word. It's a tiny word. You can miss it. You can miss it if you don't look carefully. It says this. We're told it, that's the grace of God, helps us. Look back up and you'll see it. It teaches us. It teaches us. Now, here Paul's saying that grace is not just the means by which you're saved. Grace is your teacher and your trainer. Grace helps you take next steps. Because we often think of grace as that kind of thing that enables us to be saved. But grace goes farther than that. It walks with you every day. It enables you to do the things you can't do alone without God. So grace here is like a teacher or a trainer. It's helping you take the next steps as a follower of Jesus. Grace gives you wisdom to know what to do. And grace can give you strength to say no to the wrong things, and yes to, the, and yes to God and the right things. We're saved through grace by faith, but that's not all. Grace teaches us to live well, to live self-controlled, good, and godly lives. I love the way another modern paraphrase of the Bible puts the same passage. Here's how the message uh, paraphrases the same passage I just read. God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation is available for everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. This new life is starting right now, and it's whetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. Isn't that a great passage? What I think the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage is you have to learn how to say no, and grace can help you learn that. Drop the banana. Don't hold on. Don't let those things get in the way of a relationship with you, uh, with God, sorry, and others. And one of the most encouraging things for me in that passage is the clear sense that God is with us. He's with us along the way. You don't have to do it alone. God himself will provide you with the grace you need. And then we can say no to those things that trap us or weigh us down and yes to the things that God helps us to do. The same idea of um, saying no to the things that weigh us down shows up in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 1. It's a verse uh, probably a whole bunch of you have already memorized in your life some po- at some point. In this passage, the call is to let go of the things that hinder us, and it couldn't be clearer. Here's what it says. Since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And the picture here is of a stadium filled with people. Those people in the stands are the people who have gone before us. They're cheering you on as you go through your life of faith. 
And they actually are the huge crowd of witnesses Paul talks about. The command to this early Christian community through the um, book of Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews was, let go of those things that are hindering your relationship with God. Anything that's slowing you down. Let it go. And run the race that God has set before you. One of the things that I feel Pastor Terry's really through the fall tried to help us understand is that the way to grow as Christians is through spiritual practices. I mean, many of you um, may not as be as familiar with spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices, but what Terry has brought here is something I think incredibly important and impactful. Spiritual practices are spir- or spiritual disciplines are things that we routinely do in order to grow closer to God over time. Now, we never called it that sometimes in the past, but those are things like prayer. Prayer does that for you. It brings you closer to God. Uh, Serving sometimes. As you serve, you feel a certain joy in helping others, and that spiritual practice brings you closer to God. Or think even of Bible reading. As you learn more about God, as you read Scripture, those things bring you closer to God. The truth is that it's been shown that practicing these things has the, is the most effective way of continuing on in your life of faith. And there are lots and lots of practices. Some of the practices are, or disciplines are the result of doing certain things. So the things I just mentioned are all examples, I'm going to pray, I'm going to serve, I'm going to read my Bible. Those are all examples of doing something in order to uh, grow closer to God. But there are also lots of other practices that choose, uh, in which you choose not to engage in something in order to clo- grow closer to God. For example, if I withdraw from all the noise around me and spend time in silence with God, that's a spiritual practice. Or I could choose to just pull away from the crowd in solitude, alone. That's another example of not engaging in something for the sake of spending time with God. And this morning, as I head for the close, I just want to talk about the spiritual practice of surrender, which I think is an important part of our life together. Surrender can be simply defined as this, letting go of something for your benefit and the benefit of those around you. Now, practicing surrender, I realize, is not always easy, and it takes time. It's not like we just walk out of here and just surrender something and then feel, well, that was easy. It takes time. It takes effort. And it's going to eventually, I think, if you can be patient and work through it, you'll find it'll free you. You'll feel it's life-giving. To help with the practice of surrender, though, I want to suggest just three things this morning that'll help you practice that in your life. The first thing I want you to uh, think about is I want you to remember who you are. Remember your identity in Christ as an important part of surrender. Second, I want you to recognize your dependence on God. And third, I want you to begin to practice letting go of the things that hinder your relationship with God. So I want to, let's look at each of these just for a moment. The first one, remember whose you are. Not just who you are. Remember whose you are. Over the past week, I was working, a week or two, I was working on our family genealogy again. And I was reminded of a, mess, uh, a story I shared last summer. The story was reported first in the Washington Post in February 2019. It was about a guy from Maryland, and I think it powerfully illustrates who we are as children of God. 
We were on the rebound from COVID when I shared this, and many of you didn't hear it, and I love it so much that I thought, I'll share it with you again this morning. The guy involved, his name is Jay Spates, and Jay Spates lived in Rockville, Maryland. For years, Jay was curious about his family tree and his background. So after his dad passed away, he decided to look into it. He sent his DNA off to Ancestry. It's one of the companies that analyzes your DNA and looks at where you've come from. And when the results came back, he found out that he had relatives in a relatively small little country, the country of Benin in Africa. Now, the country of Benin was really well known during the days of the slave trade. In fact, it at one point had one of the largest slave ports in all of Africa, where thousands and thousands of uh, slaves were sent by ships to other parts of the world. And as Jay kept digging into his past, he eventually found out that he had an, an important connection to people in Benin, which made for him his work even more interesting. Months later, Jay happened to get talking to a priest who was visiting the U.S. from Benin, and as they were discussing Jay's family history, the priest recognized Jay's ancestral name. And it was a significant name, the priest said, in his country, because it had a connection to the current reigning king of Benin. And this is kind of where the story gets even crazier. In a twist, it turned out that this priest actually had the personal phone number of the king of Benin and encouraged Jay, why don't you call him and tell him about your ancestry? I know your king, the priest said. Here is his phone number. The first time Jay called the king, Jay started speaking to him, and the king, who didn't speak English, just hung up. Um, determined, though, to follow the connection through, Jay tried again, and this time the king handed his phone to his queen, who spoke some English. And over a period of time, Jay talked back and forth with the queen, lots of questions, lots of investigation, and eventually, Jay came to realize, this 66-year-old man from Maryland, that he actually was related to the royal family of Benin. The Queen of Benin eventually sent him this message on the phone. You, Jay, are a descendant of King Decca, the ninth king of Alida, who ruled for seven, from 1746 to 1765. We would be welcomed, or sorry, we would be delighted to welcome you home, dear prince. It turns out that this guy actually has royal connections, and in the tree, in the genealogical tree, he's actually a prince. Can you imagine? I mean, you go digging and you find out you're actually a prince of Benin. So Spates leaves the U.S. and he lands in Benin, and when he gets there, the airport's full of people, the family pictures he had sent ahead are, uh, to the king and queen are all over the airport, the people are singing and dancing and celebrating their newfound prince. Over the next several days, uh, Jay was given three crowns, he was given holy robes, he was welcomed back into the Alada kingdom, and then he was taught, according to their customs, how to live out of his new identity. The prince of the Alada kingdom of Benin. I can't even imagine the emotions he must have felt when he stood on the shore and he looked out at the horizon where many slave ships had gone and he found out now that he was not only the son of a slave, but he was the son of a king. This guy from Maryland, this ordinary guy with a curiosity about his past now realizes that he's a prince and now he has to live out of that newfound identity. 
And this is the point I want to make. For me, that story really helps me to remember that once I was not God's people, once I was not God's person, but now I am His child. And now I'm called to live as God's prince or princess. I'm called to live as God's son or daughter out of this new identity. I think that's really important as you think about the question of surrender. First of all, remember whose you are. We're sons and daughters of the King. You're children of God, deeply loved by the Father. And the challenge, I think, to us is to live out of that. Your heritage has been revealed to you. You're part of God's royal family. So now the challenge becomes, how can I live as a child of the King? And not just remember who I am, but remember whose I am. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says this, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And that's where it all starts. Living into our identity as God's beloved, as children of the King. So that's the first thing. I want us all, as we start this new year, to remember whose we are to remember we're God's beloved children, the object of God's unfailing love and compassion, and you're invited into a new life with Him. But that isn't all. There's something else I think we have to remember, and that is we have to remember the fundamental truth that God ultimately is in control. At some point as you head into this new year before you, can you take a moment to remind yourself that you are not God? Can you do that? And there are limits to what you can do in this life. Now, I, I know there are a lot of things we can choose to do. We can, there are certain things that we can just uh, opt to, to choose to do every day. But there are also certain things that you just cannot do without the help and the intervention of God. We desperately need God. That's the message. In scriptures, from the front to the back, the message is you desperately need God. When I think of this truth, it reminds me right away to, of a passage in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 15, where Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So staying connected to God and being nourished by our relationship with God. That comes about by remaining connected and dependent on God because apart from God, we really can't do anything. So that's the second truth that I want you to, to remember. Don't forget whose you are is the first thing. Second, don't forget that it's God that ultimately is in control. And with those two things in mind, I want to come back to this question of letting go and declaring to God there's something this year that I want to release to you. What is it that I need to let go of in order to make more room for God in my life? <clears throat> Excuse me, in my life. Think back to the beginning of this message, the monkey with his hand in the coconut, trapped, holding on to the banana. What do you have to let go of to make more room for God in your life? What's holding you back? What obstacles are getting in the way of your relationship with God? What do you, in 2023, have to surrender to God? What do you have to drop in order to be free? Let 
that be for all of us the way we enter 2023? Not by adding all kinds of to-dos to our list, but by eliminating something, something that hinders your spiritual life. I asked myself as I was uh, preparing this message, what would it look like if um, Temple, all of our people began to practice just these three simple things? If we acknowledged that we were God's beloved children and lived out of that identity, that we knew we were dependent on Him, and that we began to practice releasing those things that are getting in the way of our relationship with God, what would it look like if we as a community did that? And I, I thought about it, and I thought, you know, I think if we were to commit to just those three simple things, we would become a transformed community. We would be different. I think over time, we would be transformed into the kind of community that maybe it's not perfect, but it is fragrant, and it's life-giving. I think we'd be known in and around Sarnia, not as people who were religious and you know, had their religious noses high in the air, but these were loving, compassionate people, kind and generous people that really cared about God, loved God, and loved others. That's what I think would happen. And as Terry, uh, Pastor Terry steps back in for the next couple of weekends, he's going to drive this point home like never before. Over the next two Sundays, Terry's going to invite us, actually, as we go into 2023, to be the kind of people that do three things. One, we love God passionately. Two, we serve neighbors generously. And three, we grow in Christ intentionally. For the next two weeks, Terry's going to take that up, and he's going to bring that, those messages to us as we try to craft a vision for 2023, loving God passionately, serving neighbors generously, growing in Christ intentionally. I want to be a part of that kind of community, and I hope that you'll join us on that journey. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the way that you have filled our lives with grace and given us grace so that we can actually go about living the life you've called us to. I pray we'll all learn, Father, to practice this discipline of surrender, identifying something we just have to let go and working with you and others in order to see that through. Thank you for your goodness to us, Father. Thank you that you have been so faithful Help us to love you passionately. Help us to serve those around us generously. And I pray you'll help us to grow in Christ intentionally this year. In Jesus' name.